Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. Hey, listeners. Today's show features one of our fall contest winners. But before we begin, Melissa and I would like to thank Katie McDougal and A.M. Ringwald, our prose and poetry judges, for their work in selecting the top entries. We also want to thank each writer and poet who submitted your work for consideration. We received many amazing stories and poems and appreciate the opportunity to read your work. We wish all of you continued success in your writing endeavors. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Today's story and our third place winner is Tess is Her Name. Written by Michael Mulvey and narrated by Meredith Lyons. Before we hear this flash fiction story, let's find out what our prose judge, Katie McDougall, had to say about this winning story. With a voice that sings with subtle characterization and musicality, the narrator suggests in-between lives of his neighbors below and above, ultimately illuminating his own lonesomeness, a pining for meaning and connection. The author masters the art of flash fiction. Short in length, Tess is her name, is expansive in aboutness. Now, settle in and enjoy. Tess is her name. Recently detached, I'm renting an efficiency on the edge of town. Living room, kitchenette, bathroom, closet. Stains in the carpet, stains on the walls, desiccated flies between the window and screen, my life in weary storage boxes stacked in a corner. Four floors of box-like apartments with paper-thin walls, this building. Peopled, I'm guessing, by a medley of itinerants like me. Somewhere in life between point A and point B. I could be wrong, though. I hardly know these people, if at all. Never met him, the tenant next door. Quiet for the most part, just quietly disappears one day. Leaves behind an assortment of empty coat hangers and a day planner still in its shrink wrap. Lives loud, the guy on the other side. Never met him either, but from his night music, I'm guessing he's from somewhere down south. He's not around that often, though. Drives that semi, I bet. The one parked the next lot over? That would explain the long gaps between nights of living loud. Don't know him, really, the guy downstairs. Met him at the mailbox a couple of times. Traded small smiles and quick nods. Seems nice, though, this guy downstairs graying, older, quiet for the most part, 
but I can hear him on Saturday nights mostly, leading a small prayer group. Like monks, they chant the rosary. Hail Marys, Our Fathers, and other rhythmic incantations I only vaguely remember. Once upon a time, I knew them all by heart, the prayers drilled into me by the nuns at St. Anthony's. Often I hear her, the woman upstairs, on Saturday nights, usually, when she's entertaining a guest. The two, this woman and her guest, trade small talk over drinks, probably. I only catch a line here and there, especially if I'm watching TV. Some nights the small talk dies, replaced by the sounds of a rhythmic coupling of needs and desires. Other nights, though, I hear only music, softly, through the ceiling. I've met her, the woman upstairs. Tess is her name. Young, sweet, soft-spoken, filled with an as-yet-uncrushed innocence. Tells me she's a service rep. At the Travelers, she says. Insurance, she adds. Tess from the Travelers. She smiles when I borrow her iron, asks if I'd like a glass of wine. Thanks, I reply. Maybe next time. I know where that wine will lead. Most likely, unwanted complications. I don't need the noise right now. Sure, she says, smiling with disappointed eyes. Maybe next time. Love's music, she tells me, a few nights later when I return her iron. Puccini and Verdi are her favorites, she says. But my tastes are eclectic, she adds. I'll listen to most anything, as long as it moves me. It's late. I'm nursing a beer and watching Love Boat reruns. Stacks of blue book midterms impatiently await grades. The Love Boat, a floating R-rated Disney World filled with betweeners, cruising from port A to port B. Pouty young things in bikinis pose by the pool, complaining about inattentive boyfriends. Perfectly quaffed and bejeweled wives lounge on the Lido deck, complaining about inattentive husbands. Only Isaac, the bartender, seems truly happy. Downstairs, the incantations begin. Hail Mary, full of grace. I turn up the volume on my TV. A smiling Captain Steubing bows slightly as he greets the jaded ladies on the Lido deck. The Lord is with thee. It's quiet upstairs. Maybe she's out. Tess is her name. Tess from the Travelers. Insurance, she later tells me. Then I hear her door. Sato voice murmurings. Music. Followed too soon by the carnal coming together of host and guest. Amorous Antiphony. Andante. Blessed art thou among women. Whispered vows sighed upon a midnight pillow from above. And blessed is the fruit. I open another beer, glance again at the blue books. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Julie, cruise director on the love boat, listens patiently to a troubled passenger. Pray for us sinners. I turn off the TV. Put Joni Mitchell on the stereo and search for my headphones. Now and at the hour of our death. Maybe I should head out. The Marriott, exit six off route seven. Soft jazz and smooth scotch. Wall-to-wall -wall suits and secretaries. Jeremiah's on South Main. Jim Beam and Carrie Underwood. 
townies with tats. La Boca on the boulevard? Cervezas and corridos, the love boat on shore leave. Breathless cries of ecstasy from on high. The tempo moves from andante to allegro. A crescendo, then suddenly a coda. Amen. Strains from Mahler's Ich bin der Welt, Abhamen gekommen, softly rain down. I quickly shower, throw on a clean shirt, a jacket, and leave. I don't know him, the guy in the elevator. Flushed, disheveled, he straightens his tie, runs a tanned hand through dark, damp hair. He looks at me, smirks, gives me a knowing nod, this guy in the elevator. Someone should pray for her, the woman upstairs. Tess is her name. Tess from the Travelers. You just listened to Tess is her name, our third place winner in our fall contest, written by Michael Mulvey. Now, Michael is not available to be on the show today, but he did send us some background information, and I'd like to go ahead and just read that for our listeners, and then Melissa and I will talk about some of our favorite writing topics. So this is what Michael sent us in his background material. I am a proud boomer, born on the 14th of June, 1947, to an Irish-American World War II vet and an 18-year-old Bobby Soxer with deep Yankee roots. I spent my formative years in Stamford, Connecticut, and later my teen years in a city housing project on the west side of town. I enlisted in the Army a week after graduating from Stamford High. I served for a while in Germany, then did a one-year tour of duty with the 4th Battalion, 23rd Infantry in Vietnam. I went to college on the GI Bill, graduating from Western Connecticut State, in May of 1972 with a degree in education. I spent the next 30 years in various parochial and public schools, mostly at the middle school level, retiring in June 2003. On a whim, I decided to go back to school. While working towards a master's degree in English at Central Connecticut State University, I was offered a position as an adjunct instructor. I spent the next 17 years teaching English composition and later American literature at CCSU. In 2011, at the age of 63, I earned an MFA in creative writing from Southern Connecticut State University. I only mention these milestones in my life because they are the source material for my short stories. When you read my short stories to a greater or lesser degree, you are also reading my autobiography. The short story I submitted to Etched Onyx magazine is based on a time in my life when I was in between marriages. In the fall of 1985, I was living in a tired efficiency apartment complex in Middletown, Connecticut, surrounded on all sides by people in a similar situation, in between point A and point B in their lives. My short story submission, Tess is her name, is an experiment modeled after a short story I'd read in a craft workshop at the 2015 Juniper's Summer Writing Institute held at UMass, Amherst. That fictional short story, Morning Suit, by Jenny Bully, 
had what I considered an offbeat poetic rhythm that I tried to copy. After many rejections and innumerable revisions, I set it aside. Later, stepping out of my comfort zone, I picked Tess out of my pile of rejected short stories and tried to be, quote, literary. I submitted that literary effort experiment to the Etched Onyx Fall Contest. Well, Michael, I'm glad you did because we really enjoyed this short story, and I know that our judges obviously enjoyed it as well. And I think there's a lot of fascinating take-home points um, for our listeners from your experience. And to me, one of them, I'm sure Melissa would agree, is that you got your MFA uh, much later in life. So congratulations to you. (laughs) Yes, I was going to make that same comment. I think that is a huge testament to never giving up and it's never too late you know if you want something it is never too late you're never too old because he is making waves uh, at 63 going back I admire that so much I agree he's a lifelong learner and uh, we're always telling our kids you know be lifelong learners always just taking information in and making your brain bigger (laughs) yes that is the way to do it that's how you get somewhere yeah cool well one of the things I enjoyed about the story uh, Melissa was well, first of all, it's a flash fiction piece, and we don't get a ton of those, but yeah. I always enjoy someone who can craft some emotion or suspense or whatever it is in you know under a thousand words. That is and so hard. I agree, and I really enjoyed sort of, um, I think what, what, what Katie said about this piece is that you sort of see other people's lives through his own uh, eyes, and you get a sense of kind of their loneliness in a way and his loneliness, and I, yeah. I thought that was well done. Yeah. Well, it's very cool. I was actually at a 5 a.m. writers meeting this morning for oh. NaNoWriMo, which we can talk about that in a minute. But yeah. something in these background materials and kind of with the story makes me think of, of something that someone said. She said that everything we write, there's a piece of us, a piece of like we're telling our story through what we write. Yeah. And, and, and I thought that was really interesting because she was talking about switching from poetry to a short story and how she had difficulty doing that, but that every time she did it, she would find that she was kind of telling her story through Mm. the work. Mm -hmm. And so that's exactly what we have here. Yeah. And Michael says that very specifically. Yes. Michael (laughs) says that specifically. And I think that it's, that is fascinating. So he took not only a piece of his life and put it into this story, but you know, we're reading uh, a part of him, but also a part of other people and how they influenced him and the other way around. Right. Right. Very cool. Very cool. All right, well, since we don't have Michael here to discuss the story in more detail, Melissa and I had chatted before the show about just kind of sharing some of our interests. And to kick that off, I know that Melissa is, I guess, 10 days, 11 days into NaNoWriMo. So tell us about what's going on with that. Yes. So for those of you who don't know what NaNoWriMo is, it stands for National Novel Writing Month. And this is the first time I've participated in it. but. Every November, a huge number of writers are all around the country, all around everywhere, um, anywhere and everywhere, can, or or the goal is to write 50,000 words of a novel, 50,000 words of a work. Now, I think that's been expanded in recent past Hmm. to, it doesn't have to be one particular work. You can count words of multiple works. I know some People are working on poetry. Some people are working on short stories. But 
I decided to use the opportunity to write a brand new story from beginning to 50,000 words end. And in the larger writing group that I'm a part of, I just kind of threw it out there. I was like, hey, anybody doing NaNoWriMo? Yeah. A bunch of people got back. We ended up getting a group together of about 12 people. They're like, let's do it. Let's do it together. So cool. I, I think it's it's so important for you to do things like that with other mm-hmm. people who are, it, it's motivating. So one, one guy suggested that we start Nano getting together at, at midnight and, and have like a 15 to 30 minute writing session at midnight. And everybody emailed back and was like, I am going to be sleeping. Thank you kindly. <laughs> um, and I was, I was like, I love that enthusiasm. Like, I'm going to try to make this. And then I was like, I am not. And, you know, it's going to ruin me to start. So I decided, I was like, I threw it out there. I was like, well, I'm up at 5 a.m. Everybody knows if they listen to the show that I like to write in the morning. And so I threw that out there. I was like, nobody's going to want to write at 5 a.m. But they came back. And they were like, well, I can't do midnight, but I can do 5 a.m. So wow. every morning for the for the past 11 days, because we are now 11 days into yeah. NaNoWriMo at the time of this interview, at the time we're doing this podcast at least, then we have met in the morning starting at 5 a.m. He opens a Zoom room at 4.45. I don't usually make it there until 5 because I'm making my lemon water. I have to have my hot <laughs> lemon water before coffee. And we write together. Wow. So do you talk a lot or are you just kind of like they're all on the screens, but you're just head down and you're typing or? Uh, well, it's a little bit of both. We've we've yeah. taken to talking probably a little more than we should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's been fun. So we talk a little bit about writing, but we talk a little bit about just life and fun stories. And then this is interesting, um, an, a way of accomplishing tasks. Have you heard of the Pomodoro technique? Oh, yeah. I was just using it the other day, actually. Were you really? <laughs> I really was. That is awesome. 25 minutes and five minutes. Yes. In blocks of four. <laughs> yeah. Do you know five, what Pomodoro yeah. means? Tomato or something along those lines. Yes. Time. A tomato it's, timer, right? <laughs> it's Italian. Yeah. And this guy, I can't remember his name, starts with a C, but a lot, many years ago, he was, I looked this up, I put it in my newsletter because I thought it was fascinating. <laughs> I did not, I did not know anything about it before this whole NaNoWriMo writing group thing. So we, he was like, hey, let's do the Pomodoro technique. Well, this guy was having trouble way in the past trying to get something, his schoolwork accomplished. It was so yeah. overwhelming. He had all these things. I mean, and you think about it if you're a writer and you think starting a story is daunting. You right. think I have to write 80, 100,000 words. That is overwhelming. And it can make yeah. you freeze to where you just don't start. Well, he came up with this concept of let me just take 10 minutes and I'll work for 10 minutes and I'll put my head down, I'll do it, and I'll stop. That developed into this Pomodoro technique. Huh. And he he r- would work for 25 minutes, give himself a five-minute break. Right. So that's what we're doing in this. We work for oh. 25 minutes. We take a five-minute break. We ask where we are in word counts. Yeah. And uh, I think in a way it's kind of a competition. You know, I can always yeah. see some people smiling when they have the highest word count. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so that, cool. Yeah. But we're, we're very supportive of each other. And I find, I find that... For a few days, I wouldn't have written because I was tired. I wouldn't have right. gotten up had I not known they were waiting on that Zoom screen for yeah. me. And That's so, cool. yeah, doing it with people. And it's just fun. You know, everybody around around the world can do this. You create an account on NaNoWriMo.com. I think that's what it is. You make public your intent 
and then you track your progress where everybody can see you can have buddies and all of that so it's basically just a way to connect with other people who are doing the same thing that you're trying to do and to make progress but one of the key things is that it's imperfect progress yeah yeah nano yeah nanorimo gives you permission to be imperfect because you're trying to make that word count goal and if you go back and you edit during you're not going to make it right yeah that's a good point it's about that first cut basically kind of just going and getting it all out yes Um, one thing that i said was you can't you can't shape what you don't have Mm -hmm. and that prompted somebody to say oh i can't remember what they said but it was basically you can't revise a work that isn't there right right you can't make edits so it's a great way to put work out there that you can tweak and fix and i was nervous about starting it i was really nervous but if i make a public commitment i'm going to do it that's very cool are you going to share are you guys going to share anything afterwards or not because it is going to be you know a first a rough first as it were (laughs) oh i don't know we haven't talked about that we we did one time where we shared some sentences which was fascinating and weird but (laughs) (laughs) but uh i don't know i don't know yeah because i know mine i'll have to go back and it, it looks you wouldn't feel comfortable? No, I would be very embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's good, though. That means you're really uh, getting it out. Yes. So. It's, it's been a great experience, and I really encourage people to do it. You don't have to make yourself stick to 50,000 words. Yeah. It's just about actually keeping a habit. Right. Or, or creating a habit, rather, and doing it every day, having fun while you're doing it. And making progress because yeah. once you start something, it's a whole lot easier to keep that momentum going. Right. Once you start. That's cool. Good. Well, I'm glad you guys. I've never done it. I've never done NaNoWriMo. It's been um, too daunting. But <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you. Maybe next year. Yeah, I could put that on my radar. Sure. Yeah. It's a good well, thing. So, and you've, so you're doing this through a writer's group, which kind of segues into one of our other favorite topics, which is writers groups yes and you were in a very intense writers group for many years yes and i thought maybe folks might like hearing about the approach the group took and then the things that you gained from it if you want to talk about any of that yeah definitely i think that writers groups can be absolutely amazing and i say can be because they can also be extremely dangerous Mm. um so i think that having people who are doing the same thing, like I've said before, doing the same thing that you're doing, going after kind of the same goals that you're going after can really help boost your support. They understand what you're going through. They know the rules and regulations, so to speak, and they can support you in that. Where other people in your life, you know, friends and family, they might support you, but they can't support you on that level. Right. So that's really number one. But yeah, before the pandemic started, I was a part of a writing I started going to a writing group that was meeting at a coffee shop and it was in person. I was, I was kind of, I'd never, I'd, I'd done one at the library and it really fizzled out. It wasn't really spectacular, but they would read five pages. Everybody would bring five pages of a work and you'd go around and when it was your turn, you would read your five pages and everybody would critique on the spot. That was great, but it was only five pages. Mm -hmm. They met, you know, every week. And I was loving it. You know, you got great critique and everything. When the pandemic happened, everybody went online and we did a Zoom meeting. 
that was really difficult to read five pages of everybody to go around and everybody to get a say. Yeah. It just was very different. Yeah. Well, um, there were about five of us who, when everybody else went back to in-person meetings, we decided to stick online. But we changed the format a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we decided to let everybody submit ahead of time before we met, several days in advance, three to 4,000 words each. Mm -hmm. We put it in a, a Google Doc, uh, in a folder where everybody could access it. Everybody could see each other's comments. So if somebody said, oh, I don't like this, somebody else could weigh in. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. like this either. Or, hey, I, I actually did like this. Helps you to you know, judge what those comments mean, you know, that, and what you should do with them. Cause you're very tempted if somebody doesn't like something to just change it. Right. But you might be ruining that's, that's the danger of it. Everybody has their own opinions and yeah, people sure. in writers groups are not necessarily experts. Right. You know, they're, they're just telling you their feelings and they may be wrong, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have to have a thick skin and make well, sure. So just to be clear, so you all would write your stories in whatever platform you wanted and then you'd upload them into a shared space on Google Drive. Yes. And then you then those could be opened on a Google Drive, which is where you use like the comment feature yes. to make okay, got it. Cool. Yes. And that Google was Google Docs is great for that. Yeah. Where yeah. you can reply back and forth and you can you could you know get emailed when somebody makes a comment on your piece. Mm -hmm. We would only do it in chunks though. So you yeah. only get, you know, three or four thousand words at a time. Now, yeah. if you have a lot of people, that becomes overwhelming. But, yeah, sure. Um, with few enough people solidly dedicated to the task, it was great. We were solid. Every single week, every Sunday we met. Um, and I say we did do this because I have recently dropped out of, of the writing group um, for multiple reasons. That Yeah. But I, but I treasure oh, the, those ladies. It was all females. And we all wrote in different genres. Mm -hmm. And... There were times where, you know, we'd have to put that genre lens. We'd have to run it through the genre lens. Like, I don't really like this, but I don't read science fiction and fantasy. Right. So you have to take this with a grain of salt. Yeah. Type of a thing. But we really supported each other. They they really made my writing what it is now. That's and great. I, I just know that I wouldn't have gotten an agent for my mm. work had I not had that group or at least not as fast. Yeah. Um, right. It was, you know, that iron sharpening iron. These ladies really knew how to write. They, they yeah. know how to write. I mean, I still keep in touch with everybody, but they just really helped develop my talent. You know, we would talk about writing craft and people would, who were taking classes and um, had seen seminars or things like that would add in and apply that to what was there. And so we would talk about it. And, you know, when you talk about something out loud that you have had in your mind, it's a completely different experience yeah, you know, than just yeah. having it in your head. Right. And so you think about things you hadn't thought of before. People look at things differently. It's That's the beauty of sharing your work. And it was a very safe space to to do that. Yeah. Um, for and you part. all were working on novels too, right? Or did people sometimes bring short stories? What yeah. was the focus there? A lot of times it was novels, the novel yeah. that somebody was working on. But um, there were a few times where we would bring a short story. Um, yeah. I think probably only two of us did short story. No, there were three of us. And then I occasionally did poetry. That always threw Ooh. everybody for a loop. 
Um, yeah. I'm not I'm not a poet, but occasionally poetry just flies out, and that's great. Yeah, I, um, I didn't realize that. How you cool. didn't know that, I yeah. Know. <laughs> yes, I uh, I have in my head that at some point I'll submit. I have a few things to submit, and I just don't do it because I've been working on the novels. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, that's I, wonderful. And that 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 always throws throws people because they're like, uh, I don't know if this is good or not. You know, right? People right. are kind of uncomfortable with poetry when they haven't. Yeah, and they're sure. not familiar with it, but, but yeah, I, um, I think a writing group can be great in that way. Very supportive, help lift you up. But like I said, the dangerous part of it is that people can also have opinions. And even in writing groups where people have the same opinions that you feed off of each other and you kind of, when you get yeah. to know each other, your opinions can be like, oh, well, so-and-so thinks that. So I can see that point and they can almost persuade you. Yeah. And then yeah. you get out of that writing group and you realize that, oh, not everybody thinks this way and I've just changed something and it's bad. And, um, or you could lose confidence in yourself as a writer Yeah, in a writing group. If somebody says something negative to you, yeah, you can really lose confidence. So those are the dangerous parts of it. What are your, what are your thoughts on a writing group? You are a part of a writing group as well. Yeah. I, um, no, I think they're, they're wonderful. I think everything has to be taken with a grain of salt. You do have to take perspective of the readers of your writer's group. Like what is their genre? It's almost like, yeah. you know, when, you, when you're targeting your book, if you're writing fantasy or science fiction, you know, you're not going to give it to uh, someone who loves literary. You know what right. I mean? Because they will give you comments, but yes. they're from the literary lens. And so you just have to keep that in mind. Yes. Um, but, yeah, no, I think they're great. And one of the writers group, well, I guess the writers group that you and I met through for critiquing, they have the sandwich approach, which is, you know, yeah. something positive first about what you like and then something that you think could be improved. And then at the end, you wrap it up with something positive. So I think that's a good approach because... <laughs> that is a good approach. I am you know. terrible with that approach. <laughs> are you? Uh, are you? <laughs> yes. I feel I have to be careful. That's one of the reasons why I left. I'm like, I don't want to crush people's dreams because, you know, you're just like, I really want you to be the best you can be. And so I find like, you know, you're good. Let me tell you all the bad things that you need to right, fix. And right. you can't do that. So the sandwich approach is great. I think that's a really good, yeah, a good thing to have. So, yeah, I think it's very good. When you're working, when you're critiquing someone, when you're getting, there's a way to critique and there's a way to receive critique that it can help make and break your experience with um with critiquing saying the good things in the piece along with the less less good you know the the more negative things there's always room for improvement in anything any piece of writing that you that you have there's always room for improvement you have to kind of go in it knowing that anybody who says something negative is not attacking you if you're in the right space they want your piece to be the best that it can be and this is how they think you can do it Right. And it is a suggestion. It is right. not the hard truth. It doesn't mean just because somebody says it, just because somebody doesn't like it, doesn't mean other people won't like it, or doesn't mean it's something that you should do. Yeah. Um, it's tough. And sometimes it, it's tough to evaluate that. And it can be confusing, especially if it's somebody you really respect and they're like, well, I really don't like what you did, but it's dear. It's yeah. dear to you. Right. That That's tough. But so when you're critiquing, you really have to think about what you're saying and how the person is receiving that give positives as, as well as negatives, but don't give false praise. Yeah. Uh, I really am. I cannot stand like if, if there's nothing good to say, then maybe just don't say anything instead of saying the good and the bad, because that's a whole, you know, that's, that's scary. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think you can find, I, I think in most pieces you can find something that you like. Yeah, I think you know you're I mean? probably right. So, well, I think there are two um, approaches to the critique too, which is in, in your smaller group, I know um, I've participated in it once or twice and you guys are very, you know each other really well. And so you're a lot yeah. more open, you know, than you yes. might be at a, at, at a broader writer's group that meets not as frequently or something. Right. And, um, and you all propose fixes, which is yes. so fascinating to me, uh, which is a good approach too. But I think that like Brandon Sanderson, who is a huge fantasy author, he's not my favorite, but yeah. he's got a lot of uh, resources out there. His approach on critiquing is that you tell how things make you feel and where you bump on things, but you don't propose fixes because it's the writer's job to do that, which I just it's find interesting. You know, there's yeah. kind of oh, like that. Oh, that is yeah. interesting. So, because I, I used to definitely, when I would do my edits, I would definitely tell people what I thought would make it better. But, and I still do that, you know, for pieces, for friends and things. But uh, yeah, I just think that if you're going to start a writer's group or something, or if you're in a writer's group, you might set those ground rules um, yes. early on to let, so that people know what the approach should be. I think and that feel comfortable with yeah, that. Yeah. I think that is a great point is at the beginning of any sort of writer's group, you set out um, expectations. Yeah. Uh, what are we doing here? Making sure everybody's on the same page. And there are times where I am not in a position. I'm in a delicate position and I don't want some of that harsh feedback. So yeah. you let people know what you're looking for. Like yeah, I am yeah. looking for in this. Is this interesting? I don't want you to line at it. I don't want you to tell me you like this character or you don't. I just want you to tell me, is this intriguing? Is this a concept worth pursuing? Right. And that may right. be all that you need. Yeah. Yeah. That's but cool. That's I find idea. that really interesting that he said yeah. not to give suggestions. Yeah, I you know, it's it changed the way I, I looked at things, but I don't know that's necessarily right. Like I said, there's two different approaches. So Yeah, I think like you said, if you set up those ground rules, some people might want suggestions and be like, I don't know how to fix this problem. Right. Exactly. And you, and you use it as a brainstorming exactly session. I think that's fantastic i have there have been times where i've struggled with something and somebody's thrown out an idea and i'm like oh i love that idea yes right or i hate that idea and but you've made me think of something else that i do yeah, want to yeah. use <laughs> your inferior product here no yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah cool well good wow well, we talked about writers groups from lunch longer than i thought we yeah. might um we're already um, coming up on our 30 minute time here one of the things that I've been really curious, when we ask our writers and authors at the end of the show for writing advice or a resource, almost always it's the advice and never a resource. Yeah, so. you're right. You're right. <laughs> Melissa and I have pulled together some of the resources that we use or have used, I should say. And so I thought I'd just mention a few of them. Well, obviously, I know I've mentioned this on the show before, but Stephen King's On Writing. It's oh, a little so bit of good. a memoir. And yeah. it kind of talks about his life for the first quarter of it or more, but he does kind of get into ways to improve your writing. And I think a lot of that's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it and really yeah, respect him a lot more as a person Agreed. after reading that book. So, and then uh, the other one I might recommend is, and Melissa is going to have a follow up to this, though, so one called Save the Cat by what's his name? I was going to look at it. Oh, Blake Snyder. And um, it's more for screenwriting, but you could kind of take it. In, in from a writer's perspective and then Melissa you Yeah, had well, Jessica yeah, Jessica Brody took his Save the Cat screenplay method and developed a book called Save the Cat Writes a Novel. 
the last book on novel writing you'll ever need. Um, <laughs> hope that's what it says on the Quite book. Quite the sale, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, but Jessica Brody wrote that, and a lot of, of authors, editors, use that in their writing. And that applies it to that same screenplay roadmap to novels and how you really make your novel stand out uh, become publishable or just you know not even publishable just something that somebody wants to continue reading, right right you know? yeah that's cool that's cool. yeah so i i've looked at that one i know we've talked a little bit about story grid mm-hmm. yeah the story grid that's one of the first podcasts i found and i highly recommend it yeah but i would start with some of the older episodes i sort of it sort of became like a sales machine that I don't approve of as much. But uh, Sean Coyne was an editor for some of the big five publishing houses. And he kind of created this method of ranking stories. I mean, he's got genre. He covers it all in way more detail than you might want. And you might think it's going to break your creativity. But um, And Tim Grawl is the guy who he basically Sean Coy takes Tim Grawl, who's sort of this newbie writer, wants to be a writer, and walks him through the story good process and they write a book together. Or Sean or Sean helps Tim write a book. So I don't know whether it was any good or not. But anyway, and they've continued and now there's like courses you can take and you become yeah. story grid certified. Again, it kind of became like a sales machine in my view. But I think Sean's got a lot of great points on building story yeah. and all of that. I don't know what how what do you feel about the story grid? Yeah, I, I actually started before I, I was resistant to save the cat. Uh, just because it was popular and everybody was yeah. doing it. And I tend to be like, I, I want to do my own thing, um, which I learned is in writing, not, not necessarily the best right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you're, when you're new, right. um, you have to prove yourself. But anyway, um, I started out looking into the story grid and I still use those concepts in my writing. Yeah. There is a free course. I think it's still on the website. It's been a long time since I've been there, but I yeah. took that little free mini course Oh, cool. And I, it has to be really stellar for me to purchase anything. Yeah. I did purchase the Save the Cat Writes a Novel because my writing group was like, oh, I I just swear by that. Everything is, you know, 25% (laughs) tent poles, you know, and like, what what happens at your 25% mark and what happens at 50%? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, right, right, right. I don't, I don't know. And so, so I was like, I need to see what they're, what they're judging my work by here. So I did buy that one. But StoryGrid had a fascinating concept to me, was looking at value shifting Mm -hmm. in your writing. Value shifts, yeah. I think that's really smart. So Mm -hmm. if you're not into like what happens at these tent poles, you know, which is super confusing to me at times, is that if you look at what happens in a scene Mm -hmm. and you have, you evaluate that scene, every scene should be like a little mini story to hold the attention, but they should all go together one of my writing partners calls it stringing pearls together. And I think that's so cute. You know, every, yeah. every pearl shines, but you string them together on a chain or on a, whatever pearls are strung on. <laughs> <laughs> pearl uh, string. <laughs> pearl string. Yeah. You can tell I don't wear pearls. Well, right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, this, this method talks about, oh, sorry. This method talks about if you start at a positive value, like the character is happy and lucky and feeling great then you want to change that value so right, by the end the, of the chapter yeah, basically or, by, scene, or the scene or, yeah. yeah yeah and you know you have the scenes and chapters that's a whole nother issue yes, but you know basically right. a scene and at the end of that chapter it should be something different so you can have happy is even happier or right happy is now sad at the end you know happy starts sad at the end just something that changes value because we're on that roller coaster ride 
Yeah, right. Why, why do we read? We read for emotions, experiences, you know, all those things. And I liked that concept in the story yeah. grid. No, I agree. I do have the book and it's dense and it's big. It's like a giant workbook. But I think there's probably new iterations of it. But basically, it's like a map of your story. Yeah. And I thought it was a good idea, like after you're finished, to kind of spreadsheet it. Like, yes. you know, what are the, what's the tone? Is it going up and down? Yeah. You know, are you hitting all of your kind of like if you have a specific genre they actually go into all the different genres and say here are sort of the essential units you have to have in it yeah you know um for it to be classified as that genre and anyway so yeah it's totally worthwhile and uh, yeah i support it 100 percent. yeah i created a spreadsheet for one of my novels i can't remember which one but i did value shift and then you have a column of what characters are in the scene right what where the scene occurs and so that you're not putting everybody, oh, like 50% of my novel happens in one room, you know? You, right, it right. It kind of pulls those things to your to the forefront of your mind yeah. and keeps the story from being boring. If you have every mm-hmm. scene is between these same two characters in the same place, maybe you should, you know, it calls attention Makes to that. And sure, you can, yeah, yeah. So I like, well, I like they have like the inciting incident. Oh, yeah. You know, that's supposed to happen incident. within the first third of the book. And they, I mean, it's very detailed, so I definitely... Yeah. It's worth checking out. Um, I would mention also in the very beginning when I started writing, I actually got um, Randy Ingermanson wrote. He had he had a blog that I found, and he and he had the snowflake method, which I've mentioned on the show once or twice. But basically, oh, yeah. it's kind of like you build on, you build like a scene, and you kind of expand it, and you keep expanding it. And he's more of an outliner in a lot of ways. But he <laughs> actually had a writing fiction for dummies book that he wrote with a guy <laughs> Peter that. Economy I know and you know and actually it's got the three acts in it yeah um you know and so all that stuff it's helpful because everything that you learn kind of helps you build the base on which you're you know jumping off from I it guess, does from writing. yeah and I think it helps you look at the story and make sure that you have the components that are interesting you know your character can't just be waffling through life right yeah unless you're super talented at like atmosphere or something, I yeah. don't know. But you, your character has to have motivation. Like they, they need to want something, right? And all these things, I think, kind of guide you to think about those things. What right. does your character want? What lesson do they need to learn? You know, all these things. And that's what makes a good story. Our brains, it's very interesting, are attracted to stories almost by formula. You know, yeah. it's like mm-hmm. most of these stories, even you, you look at Jane Austen, people have analyzed... I love her, you know, Jane Austen or the Bronte sisters. It It's like they followed. It's like they read these books, right? But they of didn't. Course, yeah. It, it's an innate thing that, yeah. that makes a good story. And some people have it and some people have to learn it. And yeah. it's fine either way. It's like some people have talents, but you can still be just as good if you practice and you apply yourself. So, yeah, I think that that is is very interesting. Another resource, I'll throw in there, if you're a romance writer, which is kind of what I'm getting into right now, Romancing the Beat. It's a story structure for romance novels by Gwen Hayes. It's a how to write kissing books is what it says. And uh, it's very short. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that funny? It is. It's very short, but it basically takes you through what makes a good romance novels. Romance novels are very formulaic. You know, mm. the, the readers really like certain things and that's why they read it. And if it's not mm. there, they're going to be upset. Right. So it's that's interesting. One thing that one person, though, that isn't I'm sure she's written books. I don't know them, but I follow her online. I get her newsletter 
and I have read articles and blog posts that she's done is Jane Friedman. Mm-hmm. Uh, new writers, how to do a query letter, how to write a synopsis, all of those things Jane Friedman does well. She speaks great. at conferences. I just think that she is uh, full of all kinds of great information. And I've learned so much from her, actually in one of her newsletters and talking about um, what makes a good story. And mm-hmm. something that you said reminded me of of like ba- going into backstory. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was when you were talking about the story grid. Probably. But I got one of her newsletters this past week and it was a guest writer had written in uh, about an article analyzing three different stories and what makes a gripping opening, Ooh. which I find so fascinating. Yeah. And you know, the whole adage of show don't tell. Yes. Well, that is an overused phrase and I think you can kind of miss the meaning of it. It's mm-hmm. said so often that you just, unless you really think about it, you might miss mm-hmm. it. But I thought it was really interesting because this person was analyzing openings of three different books and why they worked. And you know the character, not by them saying, I love dogs, I like to drink tea, but you you know them by action, what they're doing, how they're mm-hmm. saying it, not just showing it, but how they're saying it, who they're mm-hmm. saying it to. Are they mm-hmm. saying it to their mom? Are they saying it to the Kleenex box on their desk? You know, it's just like, right, right. you know, that tells you a whole lot about the person without saying, I am a psychopath. Yeah, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I-, I talk to my Kleenex box, you know, it's just, you, you, you know, they're a psychopath right, because they're talking right. to Kleenex box. Now that's a really bad example, you know, but <laughs> that wasn't in a newsletter. <laughs> no, <laughs> the Kleenex box. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally putting the Kleenex box thing in there because I have one on my desk and I frequently uh-huh. talk to it. And no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I just think that that things like that, you don't always think about, but that's what these writing resources mm-hmm. are encouraging you to do. Some of them yeah. go out and say it, but others are like, it's subtle. You follow the structure because you're trying to do these things. Right, right. And so, yeah, cool. I think these are all right resources. Good, good. Well, I think we did a good kind of high level overview. So any listeners out there are curious or you haven't heard of those works or yeah, want to get into them, you can. Um, two things I would mention before we sign off, though, speaking of newsletters, is that Melissa has one. So and oh, I get it. You. And it's awesome. So, Melissa, oh, why don't you tell people you. about it? Oh, thank you so much. Well, actually, I am writing, I'm finishing up a short story. Uh, that I am going to give away for my mm-hmm. newsletter subscribers. And I'm, I'm hoping to narrate it. It's very long, but I'm hoping to narrate it. But for anybody who signs up for my newsletter, they're going to get a Christmas short story. It's women's oh. fiction, romancy type thing, more women's fiction than anything. So that's what I'm writing right now. And so, yes, but I do. That's one thing uh, an author I've just heard over and over again, that one of the best ways to connect with your audience is to create a newsletter. And I started one nearing a year ago. I cannot yeah, believe it. Wow, and it I, is wild. Yes, I have sent one out every week for almost a year. Yeah. And I have had so much fun with it. Great. And the people that I have connected with that will actually respond to my emails, they're reading what I write. I just love it. I've gotten a deeper connection with these people. And social yeah. media is great. 
and you I don't can know connect. About that. Well, you, uh, you're right. You're right. It's not great. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> yeah. That is so true. Yes, social media is there, <laughs> and it can be a great place to connect with people. But I've really found that I connect with with um, my newsletter subscribers, and so in my newsletter, you know, I talk about struggles that I'm having as a writer. Yeah. I talk about where I am in, in my process. I try to give everybody a little bit of a boost in tackling, you know, like self-esteem issues. You know, I talk yeah, about sure. things that I'm struggling with just on, in a personal level. You know, it's mm-hmm. part of part of enjoying um, authors' works is kind of knowing them. And I I believe in kind of transparency. So I, I kind of tell some personal stories in there. And hopefully it's not too much, but I do. Oh, they're great. Yeah. And then I, yeah, I like to do a book review, you know, for book review or... You know, like in a recent one, I did a hot tea recipe for book club that we were having around the house and it made me happy. So I share the things that make me happy that are semi or mostly book related. And so, yeah. Yeah. So sign up if you'd like. Well, tell people how to sign up. So where do they go? You can go to melissacollings.com. You can right. also find it. I think it's listed on our Onyx website, too. There's probably a link on your bio. On or my bio. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, you can good. find it there. Yeah, thanks for sharing yeah, that. Of course. Was... So, happy to. I right. think people should sign up. It's fun to watch your journey with the agent and some of your you know emotional ups and downs with that. I think it's been fun. Um, yes. The other thing I was going to suggest that folks do is we also have a newsletter. Well, no, we do not have a newsletter. Scratch that. <laughs> we have... Uh, an email sign up for Onyx. So if you want to, if you go to our main page, uh, onyxpublications.com, you can sign up for our email list. And basically, we only send out a few notices a year, but that's basically um, announcing when we have competitions or new stories that come out, things like that. Yeah. So if you're interested, we don't sell it to anybody. We don't, we won't spam you. Yeah. I mean, you know, and just I, a couple yeah. emails a year. So <laughs> yeah, on mine, you get one every week, but I don't sell your information. But yeah, the Onyx one is is kind of silent so you don't get too much but it's like a bonus when you get it you're like yeah exactly then that i want to check that out (laughs) right and when you submit a story you are automatically uh added to it you can always unsubscribe it just takes you out i don't even know if you unsubscribed or not but anyway um yeah great okay well thanks melissa it was good uh to chat with you about these things today thanks jw it's always a pleasure all right we'll talk to everyone next time bye-bye Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. We'd like to thank the folks at Literature and Latte, the makers of Scrivener, for sponsoring the podcast and providing an amazing tool for writers. If you'd like to take your writing to the next level and use a tool designed for writers by writers, then give Scrivener a try. What have you got to lose? The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, all stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.